Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, good morning, everybody. Wasn't that a great time of worship? Aren't you grateful for our young people leading us in that? Wonderful morning. Hey, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Oh, Lord Yahweh, we come before you this day. Grateful, but also calling out for help. You, you sent us a son. You said the government would be upon his shoulder. We'll know him, we'll experience him as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the, the prince of peace. Oh, Lord, we need, we need that peace. We know so much of that has a future and eternal reality, but it has a present reality. Lord, in our world right now, there's everything but peace. There's so much conflict, so much tension. Lord, I, I call out to you in prayer the, the, the readiness of war happening between Ukraine and Russia. Or the fighting among people in a government in Canada. Lord, here in our, our own nation, so much uh, angst and division. Oh, Prince of Peace, bring your peace. We cannot manufacture this. We, we cannot do it. And, oh, Jesus, may we, your followers, be a people of peace. I, I, don't, I don't imagine there's anything I'm going to be or do this week that's going to change anything in Canada or, or Ukraine, but you still called me to be a person of peace where I am. Help me to understand where I, where I can be that and what it means to be that. May I be available to you. May each and every one of us be available to you to bring peace in, into a tense and conflicted world. Again, Lord, we call out to you as the Prince of Peace because we can't bring it. Oh, Lord, give us faith that You have for us peace, and where there will be conflict, you have a way. You have a purpose. Oh, Lord, I pray our voices right now are joining voices around our nation and around our world, calling out to you. God, I pray this week we see evidence, the answer to our prayers. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to, as you just saw in the video, the beginning of Easter here at the Heights. That's right, we're starting Easter, and it's going to start with a parade. And we have a Grand Marshal. Let me introduce you to the Grand Marshal of our parade. If you'll look up here, you'll see his resume. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, and to that God give thanks. That great and awesome and mighty God has a love for you that does not quit. Jesus, who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. Can you believe against this awesome king, they will make war. 
They will make war against this king, but the lamb will conquer them. Why? Because he is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. There's no defeating Jesus. Our Jesus is a great God. He is an awesome God. He is a mighty God. He is eternal, has all power and authority. He is beyond your ability and my ability to even grasp, much less even approach. Ah, but in his kindness and his grace, he lets you and I not only approach him, but to do so as a friend. To do so as a friend. And it is this king that we celebrate. It is this king that we worship today. He will come and conquer. He will come in righteousness and holiness and justice to burn. Makes me so glad he came the first time to save. Amen. We are beginning Easter here. Now, if you were, let me kind of give you a context of where we are and what's happening. If you were here back during the Christmas season, actually, if you were here during the Thanksgiving season, I started a Christmas series on November 7th. That is by far the earliest I'd ever start and started a, a Christmas series. And now here I am in February, and we still have another Sunday in February. Here in the middle of February, starting an Easter series, and Easter is not until April 17th. We're going to be on Easter for two months. Now, let me tell you why this is happening. So, as your pastor, and bless your heart, you get stuck listening to what I want to do, whether it's what you want or not. So often, when I come into a holiday season, I'm usually doing a Christmas and Easter, and sometimes, matter of fact, a lot of times, like two or three messages, Sometimes I'll stretch it out there to four. And, and if you looked back over the last 20 years here, probably four would be about the longest. So what I'm often doing is I'm going to those Christmas passages, those Easter passages, and picking an idea or maybe a word to look at through that and, and just kind of pulling some things out to make a, a series for that season. But I'm doing that, I'm leaving so much out. And I just felt burdened this year, I think it was back last summer, that to, to do a more thorough treatment of our Christmas passages, of our Easter passages, at least as is told by one gospel account. And I chose Luke for that, not because his is better, uh, not, not anything like that. I just really kind of grabbed a hold of Luke's purpose he, he wanted, he wrote, he gave us this gospel so that you and I could be more certain, be more certain of what we believe. And I just, I think we live in a time where it's really important we're certain of what we believe. As a matter of fact, I don't even know why I say we live in a time. What time is it not important that we be certain of what we believe, why we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? So we're starting an Easter series today. We're doing that in Luke. Now, a lot of times when I start a series, a series based on a book of the Bible, uh, I don't usually start with chapter 1, verse 1. Usually the first message is, is an introduction. It's, it's kind of a big picture, a flyover at 30,000 feet. We're trying to get a context externally. What, what's going on in the world, socially, politically, 
culturally? Where are we in history that this is taking place? Internally, the big picture, when was this written? Who was it written by? Why did, why did he write it? Who is he writing to? What are they dealing with? What do they need? And we're just trying to understand the context because it's so important we remember we're not a believer in myths and fairy tales. We're believers in real historical events that happened. And so we want to place ourselves uh, in that context. Now, if you go back to what I started about 90 seconds ago, normally, so that means there's a but here, right? (laughs) Normally, I'd be doing that today, but I just did that on November 7th. I I hate to pull out a message that that was so recent and it sounds so familiar to what a lot of you have heard. Now, I do know there's people sitting here today watching online who maybe were not with us on November 7th. I really want to encourage you to go back to our Christmas series. Go back, use the church app or go on our webpage and go to sermons. And you actually can watch series years and years back. But you don't have to go years and years. Christmas 21, November 7th, that first message. And get that context. I think it'll, I think it'll really help you appreciate who Luke is, what he's doing, and where we are in this. Now, having said I'm not going to do an introduction, I do want to grab one idea from that day and bring it up to today. And that is Luke's stated purpose. This is what he wrote. Why? Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he is giving us this word of God. And he says, very simply, to give you and me an orderly account. He's looking at all the stories of Christ out there and what he knows and what people are questioning and what can be verified, what is what is evidenced with eyewitnesses, and he's bringing all this research together. Remember, he wants us to be certain. So it's got to be verifiable. It's got to be true. He is bringing us truth. Now, you and I generally don't like to hear people lie, do we? Even if we're for them, even if they're a friend of ours, we don't like to hear people lie. So when he starts saying, hey, here's, here's the truth, Well, there's at least two kinds, not only two, but there's at least two kinds of people that hear that truth. There's eyewitnesses, there's people who were there who can either validate what he's saying or contradict what he's saying, and then there's enemies to that truth. Not as much about validating or contradicting, they just don't want people to believe this. They're they're against this truth. So when Luke is writing this, there's real people out there that can say, "Uh uh-uh, I was there. You know, folks, if I was to, uh, if you, you know, you're here today, you're, you're here in the service, you're watching me preach, and if you were to wake up tomorrow and turn on the news and I'm being interviewed, or maybe you open up the paper and I was interviewed and it, and I'm in there telling the story, it was the most incredible thing at the heights. Yesterday, February 20th, I was right in the middle of preaching. The, 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 the ceiling opened up and we were all looking up in the sky and 10 huge pink elephants floated down and landed in the room here. And you heard me saying that. I'm guessing you would go, uh-uh. I was, is he kidding? What's he doing? Probably a few calls to the church tomorrow. What was that about? What is he saying? Some of you might just go straight to that media outlet and go, hey, I was there and that didn't happen because that's what people do when stuff like that happens, right? Hey, that's no different in Luke's day. You know, when he's talking about, and Jesus said this and did this and then he fed 5,000 people. And, and, and Jesus went out and then pretty soon he was walking on water. 
And, and then Jesus rose from the dead. Folks, that's, those are real historical events. And there's people that were there that could say, yeah, I saw it. Or no, that's not what he said. Or no, that's not what happened. And then there's the enemies. I want to remind you, the writings that you and I read are, are real historical events that survived all the attacks, that were validated. Listen, you stop and consider who Luke is. He's a missionary. Ran around with Paul, lots of churches, lots of believers. He knows a ton of people that have based their life on this story. And that means he knows lots of people who've been beaten for this story, tortured for this story. He knows people that have been imprisoned for this. He was imprisoned for this. He knows people who've lost their lives because of their faith in this story. I can assure you. Luke has no interest in propagating and promoting religious tales and myths because, you know, there's religious people in the world and they need these little religious stories to hold on to. That, that's not what he's doing here. When you've got friends who've died for this, you want to make sure it's the truth that we have. And it is the historical truth He is communicating to us about how the king of all kings, Jesus, entered Jerusalem on his way to the cross. Let's start looking at that story. Would you look with me today at Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19, get that good and marked in your Bible or your Bible app, because again, we're going to spend eight weeks here from Luke 19 to chapter 24, and we're looking, we're starting today, Luke 19, verse 28. Now, that sounds like a strange place to start a series, doesn't it? Shouldn't we be starting like in verse 1? Why are we starting in the middle of a chapter? Well, verses 1 to 27, Luke is in Jericho. And so we're picking up now, when we read verse 28, he's entering Jerusalem. This is the beginning of the what we refer to as the Passion Week, or the week of what you and I end up celebrating Easter with. What we're reading is what we refer to as Palm Sunday. So this is kind of the kickoff and beginning. The first 27 verses are what was happening right before that. So I don't know if you were bothered that we were beginning in verse 28, but that's why we're beginning in verse 28. Luke 19, let me begin reading. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, as Jesus had said, and sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Luke doesn't record this. Some of the other gospel accounts record. Not only are they praising and singing, but they're cutting what out of trees? 
Cotton palm branches, they're, they're singing, they're praising, they're waving these palm branches, they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hey, you know what Hosanna means? Please save me. Have you cried out to the king? Please save me. Along with these cries and these palm branches, they're praising, verse 38, blessings on the king. You know, it's profound to call somebody a king, isn't it? That's an actual real position. It's not figurative. It's not metaphorical. They're calling him the king. It's also dangerous to do that when there's a Caesar over in Rome. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying those things. He replied, if they kept quiet. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation today. I love the way this reads. The stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late. The peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. And and folks, this next line, I think probably the most important line in our passage today, because you did not recognize it. When God visited you. You know, that that didn't just happen to the people in Jerusalem. It happens to people every day. God was in your presence. And you walked away. Verse 45. Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves. After that, he taught daily in the temple, but the leading priests and teachers of religious law and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. But they could think of nothing because all the people hung on every word that he said. Again, our Jesus is awesome. Our Jesus is great. He is king and he is mighty. And he comes humbly on a cult. Do you know how important it is to you and me that Jesus is humble? It is because he is humble that you and I can be saved. It's his humility that allows for his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. You say, what do I need to be saved from? Sin, death, and hell. You know, you may be a wonderful person. Everybody in your neighborhood may think it. Everybody at work knows you're one of those really godly people, one of those really religious people. Everybody in our community knows, man, what would be without them? Man, they're a contributor. They're a volunteer. They, they make things better. You may be able to really pat yourself on the back for being a good person. You may genuinely be a really good person. And you know as well as I do what goes on inside your heart. I know what goes on in mine. Regardless of what everybody around you thinks, there is evil in your heart and mind. And some of it sneaks out, doesn't it? 
Some of that evil we don't keep contained. It comes out in words. It comes out in actions. It, it comes out in other ways. And all of that, whether it's just inside or whether it escapes out, makes me so incredibly not like God. Not like His heaven. And so that's why the consequence of sin is death and hell. And that's what Jesus saves us from. Because he's humble. Because he came once humble riding on a donkey. You and I can be saved from sin and death and hell. And we should be thankful, shouldn't we? Thank, thank you, Jesus, for that. Now, let's understand this movement and, and what is go- going on here uh, as he comes into Jerusalem here. This is a profound historical moment. Almost 600 years ago, 586 B.C., Jerusalem fell to Babylon. And for the next four centuries, over Israel, Judah, over Jerusalem, were pagan empires and pagan kings. So it's been a long time since a king in the line of David, a king from God, has walked through the gates of Jerusalem. And then along about 167 B.C., there was a, high, a, a priest by the name of Matthias. And Matthias, boy, sometimes it just takes one person to want God more than anything else. And Matthias was looking around and he kind of said, man, en- enough is enough. The people, the people of faith, that faith was getting watered down. It was getting dissipated. It was not being practiced. On top of that, you have these pagan rulers that are outlawing. They didn't outlaw Judaism, but they started outlawing different aspects of it that just basically gutted the Jewish faith. And Matthias said, man, enough's enough. And he began a revolt. He began a revolt against that, that empire and against those leaders. And if you want to look it up in history, it's called the Maccabean Revolt. And, and, he had, and he died. He died in the midst of that, but his son picked up the cause, Judas of Maccabeus. And he continued leading that cause until one day they came upon really what could only be called a miraculous victory, a victory directly from heaven. And Jews still celebrate that victory today. They call it Hanukkah. That's where that comes from. That's what that is about. And so in that moment of victory, man, it, it, it feels like, man, there's a new day. There, there, our, our faith is being restored. Our, our being the people of God is being restored. And it just felt like a new opportunity was in front of us. But then those religious leaders, gosh, sometimes it just takes one step away from somebody passionate and zealous from God. I just got to move one step away, and all of a sudden I'm in a bad place again. And, and all those religious leaders did was do something very simple. They made an alliance. That had been Israel's problem since the very beginning. And the reason that's always their problem is because it's humanity's problem. It's your problem. It's my problem. Oh, person of faith. I believe in God. But let's be honest. The bills are real. The enemies are real. A path to that pleasure. A path to that prize. That opportunity. Man, if I'm going to get this thing, if I'm going to take, I, I got to be on this person's side. I got to have this help. I've got to act like this and be like this. And we start compromising. We start making alliances with the world to get that which we think is the real thing. Their alliance was with Rome. I mean, hey, if we're going to be protected, if we're going to be okay, we we need some muscle. 
Hey, let's get an alliance with Rome. Boy, that's one of those decisions that you say, whoops, that was a mistake. And so they build this alliance with Rome. Why? I mean, we love God and everything. I know he's all powerful and all that. And we say that when we're in temple, when we're in church. But honestly, we need some real protection. And so they go and make this alliance with Rome, never realizing that was going to lead to Roman occupation. Never realizing that that would lead to thousands upon thousands of Jews being murdered and executed on crosses at the hands of Rome. They made that alliance. And so that is the world that we just picked up on. That is where we are. Six centuries, let me say it again, since a son of David. Six centuries from since a king from God has entered the gates of Jerusalem. And that's what we see happening right now. There's something very symbolic, very purposeful going on here. You know, when we talk about fulfilled prophecy, I talk about that a lot at Christmas. I talk about that a lot at Easter. I talk about that a lot throughout the year. Because to me, prophecy, fulfilled prophecy, is one of the clearest, most provable pieces of evidence of the truth that this is God's word and everything in it is true. Now, there's prophecies that nobody from a human perspective could actually fulfill. And then there's some prophecies where you can say, hey, I can do that. You know, so everybody's looking for a Messiah. They're looking from, for a king from God. And some of these prophecies I could actually take and manipulate and do myself. And then some I can't. The ones I can't, well, like the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. It's kind of hard as an unborn child to dictate what city you're going to be born in. And speaking from a human perspective, right? An- another great thing Jesus couldn't manipulate, talking as we come into Easter. Read Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. Psalm 22, written in 970-ish B.C., uh, Isaiah 53, 740 B.C. When you read those two things, it reads like somebody is standing at the cross taking notes. Somebody is standing at the cross and writing about what is happening to Jesus there. It is amazing the detail that is written with. The only interesting thing about that is in 970 B.C. and in 740 B.C., crucifixion didn't exist. That, was, that wasn't a way of killing people. The government, nobody had come up with that yet. Go read those passages and you'll be in awe. When Jesus is hanging on a cross, he can't manipulate and dictate that Roman guards are going to gamble for his clothing, as is talked about. He he can't manipulate that as he's pierced in hands and feet that they're not going to break his legs, which is the normal way to end a crucifixion. They broke the legs of the two guys on each side of him, but they stuck a spear in him, just as was prophesied. So see, there's prophecies, things that that as the one fulfilling that prophecy, I can't manipulate that, I can't make that happen. But this prophecy, yeah, you could manipulate that, you could do that. And it's this prophecy right here from Zechariah 9.9, the prophecy that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem humble on a donkey. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold. Your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. Now, if I wanted everybody to think I was the Messiah, I could do that. 
Now, I'd have to answer for all the other prophecies I didn't get taken care of, right? But I, I can get on a donkey and go trucking into, into Jerusalem. I'm the Messiah. Look, I'm on a donkey. Yeah, but I don't have all the other things. But Jesus, with all the other things, very purposely gets on this donkey. He's making a statement. He's drawing a line in the sand. I am your king. He said, well, how do you know for sure he's saying that? You can always know what's really happening by looking at the Pharisees, believe it or not. You're looking at the enemy, you know exactly what Jesus is doing, and they're reading that back to you. Now, just to understand, again, this movement. Jesus was in Jericho, first 27 verses, okay? And from Jericho to Jerusalem, it's a 17-mile hike. And on that hike, you go up 3,000 feet in elevation. So very few of us would have taken a walk with Jesus that day. It may be a first part of it, but we'd have fallen off somewhere because I ain't walking 17 miles and climbing 3,000 feet. But Jesus and the disciples did that. And as they got into Jerusalem, they went over to the east side of Jerusalem where the Mount of Olives was. And this is, I mean, it's not a mountain like you might think of like in Colorado. It's just a really huge hill. And I mean, big enough that there's these little villages dotting the hill. One of those villages being Bethany. Bethany will be his base of operations this week. He's going to be coming and going out of Bethany all week long. And that's not just true for the week ahead That was true about any time he was in Jerusalem. He was staying in Bethany with his close, close friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And when he got there that night, guess what? They held a dinner for him. Hey, that sounds familiar. Oh, yeah, we just talked about that last week. (laughs) Unrelated to this series because I was in John, but it actually could have fit right inside this series because as he arrives in Jerusalem, the first thing is the dinner that night. But after that dinner, the next morning then is what we read. Now, as you're standing on the Mount of Olives, as you're standing in Bethany, and I've had a, the blessing of being able to do this, you're, you're looking right into Jerusalem. You're looking into the eastern gate. I don't know if you've been out hiking and you've been on mountains and hills, but you know, when you're standing on one and you look over another, it just looks like it's right there, right? But then you got to go down and you got to cross and you got to go back up. And yeah, it ends up being some distance. Well, in, in this case, from Bethany to Jerusalem was about two miles. You, you'd go down the Mount of Olives, you cross the Kidron Valley, and then you're going up a hill and into the eastern gate at Jerusalem. Two miles, a little less than two miles. Jesus made that walk all the time. He's going to do it every day in the coming week. He's going to walk the two miles over. He's going to walk the two miles back. After the Lord's Supper, what'd they do? They went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Where's the Garden of Gethsemane? On the Mount of Olives. He made that, that two miles walk back. So he's going to do this all this week. He did it all the time. He walked everywhere, but not this morning. He very purposely says, go get that donkey. And this is, this is a profound historical moment. It is a profound spiritual moment. He is drawing the line in the sand I am your king. And you see the Pharisees here losing their mind. You got all these people praising and excited. There's a lot of people buying into this. They've heard his teaching. They've watched his miracles. Maybe they're studying and keeping up with the prophecies being fulfilled. And I mean, what, what else? What are we, if this isn't the Messiah, what are we looking for? Man, why, why didn't, 
Why didn't the Pharisees ask that question? If this isn't the King of Kings, if this isn't the Messiah, what is it that we're looking for? Ah, you know, I think what they show us is, again, what's in a little bit of all of us. I want to believe in God. I want to have a hope. Hey, that can, that can be very helpful at certain times. I'm a religious person, a God-believing person. You know, remember, folks, Jesus isn't walking into a town of atheists. He's not walking into a town of God-haters. He's not walking into a town of another religion this is the religion. He's coming. Boy, what a reminder. We can be religious and believers, but not actually want his rule in our lives. I want a belief. I want a faith. I want to be connected to that. And no, no nobody ever utters these words, but folks, how often do we end up living like this? Hey, you do your thing because, you know, you're running the universe at all. I bet some people in here have actually thought, you know, I hate to bother you, God. I know you're running the universe. God, hey, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. And, hey, if I need you, I'll give you a call. If you don't hear me say anything else today, would you just hear this? Jesus is not looking for a place in your life. Let me say it another way. Jesus does not want a place in your life. Jesus wants to be the king of all kings, the sole authority, the sole agenda setter in your life. Because that's what's best for you. And, and, and folks, when we, as so many religious people do. Oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I'm here singing songs to him today. But then we go on living like I really, I, you know, I think I can do this. I think this is the best way to handle this. I think this is the best place to go. And we basically dismiss him. We basically say, you can go back to your Jesus corner now because I've got it from here on out. That's really no different than what the disciples are, or the, the Pharisees are doing right here. No, no different than what they're doing right here. Stop it. That's blasphemy. I, I love this phrase here. Uh, if I tell my disciples to cry out, uh, to stop, the, the rocks will cry out. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, uh, a preacher, has a commentary on Luke I use a lot. And uh, he said, what Jesus is basically saying here is, if I tell my disciples to be quiet, the other things I've created will cry out. You realize everything Jesus touches, everything Jesus sees, he created. I think this is an important observation for us. Creation is not looking to humanity. Creation is looking to its king, looking to its creator. So we have this incredibly high and exciting moment. Jesus is entering. There's a parade. I I wish Luke would have recorded. I wish somebody would have counted. I'd like to know how many Who are all these people waving palm? Is it hundreds? Is it thousands? Is it dozens? We don't really know a number. It sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Sounds like a lot lot of people. I, I don't know how much. But we're at this really high moment of this parade and cheering. And then all of a sudden we go from cheering to weeping. Jesus is weeping as he looks at Jerusalem. And in my opinion, I don't know this as a fact... 
as he stands there and weeps, I really don't believe he stands there in the view of his humanity. I believe he stands there in the view of his deity. And he's not thinking, how many times have I called you in the last three years? He's thinking, I have for centuries been calling you out of your alliance with sin, out of your alliance with the world, out of your alliance with money and power to your good king, to your good shepherd, and you've rejected. Oh, I want a king. I just don't want any of his authority in my life. And as a result of the rejecting, and of of course I assume most of us know where this story is going and where it's going to end on Friday They're going to reject their king. They're going to kill their king. And and so Jesus gives this prophecy that Jerusalem will be destroyed. It's going to be something he repeats uh, in, in a couple of weeks as we continue moving through this series. Jerusalem will be destroyed. As a matter of fact, that prophecy will come true in 70 AD. It will be completely demolished. It never works out to reject your king. Whatever that alliance with something, someone, some idea, whatever that alliance is, it will not give what it's promised. And killing your king will bring something you don't want. Remember, Jesus is presenting himself to you, presenting himself to Jerusalem, presenting himself to all. Your king visited you. Your God visited you. What did you do? And then we move from this moment into the temple, which is very unique now because the kings and the priests are separate. But now we see the king of all kings is also going to be the high priest, and he cleanses the temple. It's important to understand what is going on here. There are God-directed things Okay, God's not the problem here. There are God-directed things that worshipers are coming to the temple to do. But then the religious mafia picked these things up and began abusing them to take advantage of people. So you come to the, I mean, all through the Bible, you're coming to the temple and you're bringing your tithes, you're bringing your offerings. But when you got there, guess what? You're carrying Roman currency because that's how you pay the bills, That's what you have is Roman currency. But the temple doesn't accept Roman currency. We don't accept that ungodly money. Now, remember, that ungodly money came from the nation they made an alliance with. But we don't don't accept that money. You can't, well, how am I going to be faithful? How am I going to be obedient? How am I going to do what I'm supposed to do? Oh, I didn't say you couldn't do it. Oh, no, we can help you out. We'll exchange your Roman currency for temple currency, the shekel. Very few people would have been carrying any shekels. They're not good anywhere out there. So now I had, oh, and I'm going to make this exchange for a small fee, right? I got to make a living. So this is how this worked. You came in with $10. I took your $10 plus a $2.50 fee. And I gave you back $10 in another currency. And then you gave that $10 to me. This is a pretty good gig if you can get it. I mean, this is working out really well. So, I mean, they're just making money on top of money on top of money. Of course, there's another reason we come to temple, and that's to bring the sacrifices. And you're to bring, there's this Passover, you're to bring that perfect spotless lamb. Now, that was also directed by God, because we bring to God our best. Remember, that kind of actually goes back to last week. If I'm letting my heart do something than the best, then I'm not connecting my heart to its real creator. 
I'm not connecting my heart to its real king. My, my heart follows my money. So forget about amount for a moment. The two key words all through the Bible about giving are first and best. You give to God first and then make the rest of the budget work. Most of us have that completely reversed. We do everything we need to do in our budget. And if we got anything left over, then here's a little for you, Lord. And what we communicated to God is everything else comes first. And that's a horrible lesson for our heart. Sometimes we just give whatever, you know, our junk. Here, I don't need this. I got everything else covered. And that's what God was saying. When you bring your perfect spotless lamb, don't bring your junk. Now, what they would do this is, you know, I'd be, I'd look out at my flock and I'd tell my, go get the one that's limping. That's not going to bring a good price at market. And I don't want a limping lamb breeding and making other limping lambs. So go get, we'll give that one. I don't want it anyway. There's a lot of giving to the Lord that goes on like that. And God says, don't, don't bring me your garbage. Don't bring me what you don't want anyway. Because your heart needs to know the value of me. And when you're giving me your junk, you're lying to your heart. So bring that perfect spotless lamb. So here I come up to temple. I'm trying to obey God. I've got my perfect spotless lamb, but the L.I. is there, the lamb inspector. Uh, you're not, you're not going to be able to sacrifice that. It's not, that's not a perfect lamb. And, I, of course, I'm going to go, yeah, it is. What, what, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, I can see why from your perspective there's not. I'm a professional. And I can see what you can't see, so you're not going to be able to use that lamb. What? what, what? I mean, I, I just walked all the way from Nazareth to get here. I've been walking for seven days. Now what am I going to do? Oh, you can still come in and sacrifice. You can buy one of my lambs. You see how they were? They're just making money. Every step you took through the temple, they're, they're making money. That's what Jesus cleanses and kicks out. Now watch this transition. He goes from weeping to cleansing. He goes from desperately wanting you to receive his grace and mercy to bringing his justice and his wrath. There is so much happening here. I know we get caught up on the palm branches because that's lots of fun. But there's some really big things happening here. Folks, a king is being presented from heaven. The same Choice and decision being made this day is being made to you and me. Heaven presented a king the first time, humble and riding on a donkey. Heaven is going to present a king a second time, isn't it? On a white horse, coming victorious as a conqueror. And there you and I are in between these two comings, making a choice. Do I receive my king? Do I come under his rule and authority for my life, which is the most incredible thing my soul could ever hope for or do I rebel against the king and say I've got it I've got it I can live my own way and end up making war with that king we choose his mercy and grace or we choose his wrath and justice do you know in both Jesus is being perfect and loving there's nothing loving about letting rebellion against what is right and good go on And what is right and good is my soul coming under my king. What a privilege. What a blessing. Where's your soul? Where are you in relationship with the king? 
Have you seized his first coming for your well-being, or are you foolishly playing with when the second coming happens? Let's pray. Father, thank you for making it so clear when the king arrived. Thank you for over 62 major prophecies perfectly fulfilled around the the birth, the life, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have given us no excuse to say we didn't know. You have visited us. Sometimes that happened in big groups at the temple. And Lord, all throughout this room, watching online, you have visited every one of us individually. Not one person here has not been visited. Oh God, may we, may we realize we will never stand before you innocent. We'll never stand before you in ignorance saying, I didn't know. And then you'll point to us the places you arrived, the places you spoke to us, the places you showed. You're our creator, our king, our judge, our Hosanna, our savior. Oh, Lord, I pray right now each one of us, no no greater thought would weigh on us than where am I in position to the king of all kings? And Holy Spirit, in your patience and in your love and in your humility and grace, spur us, move us into a right relationship with the king. Maybe some of us in here for the very first time to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Many of us in here have already made that step. We just keep living like you're a good buddy, but not actually a king. Oh, that it would be so clear with every word, with every value, with every action, with everything I do this week that I belong to, that I serve the king of all kings. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.